Icebergs are deceptive. Much of their mass lies hidden beneath the surface. The incarnation is much like an iceberg. Much of its meaning lies hidden in the Old Testament. Easily missed if not seen with the eyes of faith. A child in a manger, a mother who is a virgin. What does it all mean? We're used to peering at the top that just juts up from the surface, but what lies beneath? We need to take a a deep dive uh, to see the significance of the virgin birth of Emmanuel. So this morning, our our text this morning is from Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me or you can turn to the Bible in your pew. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this, your word. And we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it through the power of your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name and amen. Amen. Israel, during the time of King Ahaz, was a divided kingdom. The northern ten tribes were ruled in Samaria and uh, were in league with Syria. The king Rezin and Pekah were allied together against Jerusalem, where Ahaz was. And they were laying siege to Jerusalem. And in the text previous to the, to the few the, uh, verses 1 through 10, Isaiah comes to Ahaz and gives him assurance that these two kings will not harm Jerusalem. He promises him. And he encourages him to be firm in his faith. He says, And it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be a shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. And then he encourages him with this. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. But then, the gracious character of God as he comes yet again to encourage Ahaz and to ask of him, ask of me and I will give you a sign, anything in the heavens or on earth, to assure you that these two kings will not harm you. On his own, Ahaz could not withstand these two kings. And so, instead of listening 
to Isaiah these two times, Ahaz decides to take matters into his own hands. He goes around these two kings to the kings even north of them, the largest king, the king of kings, the king of Assyria. And he makes a league and covenant with him, bribing him to come and help him to to remove these other two kings. And so, of course, Assyria, the Assyrian king is all too willing to oblige him. And at a later time, Isaiah comes in verse 10 to speak another word of encouragement to him, to have him ask a sign of the Lord. God is willing to give him anything to assure him that this will not take place. But Ahaz would not ask for a sign. He knows his Bible and he fears that this would be to test the Lord. Ahaz's response angers the prophet. And of course it angers the Lord in verse 13. Instead of a sign of assurance of God's promise, he will get a sign, but it will be a sign of judgment. And of course, with all of the promises of judgment in the Old Testament and in the scriptures in general, it's also a promise of redemption. For redemption comes through judgment. Isaiah sees in the distance a virgin birth of a child who is God with us, Emmanuel. He will inherit a decimated kingdom because of the faithlessness of Ahaz in verse 15. But he will grow in discernment and wisdom before God and men. And so the sign is of a future promised blessing. But it's also a sign that confirms God's present judgment on Ahaz and the house of David for their unfaithfulness. His covenant with Assyria would prove to be fatal. Verse 17. Uh, There are many difficulties in this text. However, despite the unfaithfulness of Ahaz, what shines clearly through it all is the faithfulness of God. Men may seem to disrupt the plans of God. They may do everything in their power to make it so it seems like God cannot act, that they have ruined beyond repair. And yet it's in those moments that God shines forth in his covenant faithfulness. He is faithful even when we are faithless. And so as we walk through this text together, I want, you to, sh- I want to show the significance of what, um, what is the underside of this iceberg. What exactly does Christ fulfill? As we read from the Gospel of Matthew earlier, uh, what is he fulfilling in the virgin birth and him being Emmanuel, God's God with us. You see, God had already encouraged Ahaz not to worry about these two kings. Despite what Ahaz could see with his eyes, God had everything under control. But of course, we as men are slow to concede to things that we cannot see or understand. Uh, It's easier for us to just do it ourselves than to have faith that God will do it without Without us. Surely he must need us to at least get the ball rolling. Get things started. And so Ahaz um, must have thought. But of course God doesn't. If he promises that nothing will happen, we should take him at his word. God's initial promise of deliverance should have been enough. But, 
but it's, it's matched by an even greater offer of assurance. Ask of me a sign, God says. And there are two ways that we can think about signs. First, the sign is a confirmation uh, or a, a, a way that God would persuade somebody to act. That God is in this um, calling. You could think of the sign of the burning bush. There, Moses sees the burning bush and it's not consumed. It's on fire. What is this burning bush? I'll turn aside and see. And God confirms, God persuades Moses who he is and commissions him in a task. That is one way we can think about a sign. The second way we can think about a sign is is a way that it confirms that certain events happen because of the plans and purposes of God. I.e., when you see this and this and this, and you see them all in that line of events, know that it was me who has done it. This form we'll talk about more in a moment, but both of these ways of speaking about signs are present in this text today. The first is, ask of me a sign of assurance. Whatever it is, I will give you whatever that is in heaven or on earth to assure you that my promises are trustworthy. Right? We think about Gideon. Gideon is nervous to go and to fight for the Lord. And so he asks for the Lord for assurance. He lays out his fleece, right? And he says, let the, the, let the dew be in the fleece, but nowhere else. And there is rings out and it's filled with water. Then he says, let the dew be everywhere else, but not in the fleece. Now he's not testing God and the, the text does not condemn Gideon for what he does. He has faith. He's looking for assurance. Right? And that's what this first offer of a sign is for Ahaz. Ask of me anything, and I will show you that I am trustworthy and that my promises are true. The, the, the problem is, Ahaz didn't want confirmation. Why? Because he'd probably already decided in his mind that he was going to be in league with the king of Assyria, that he was going to make a covenant which Israel was not supposed to do with a foreign king. Just an aside, isn't, isn't that hilarious? We think somehow that we can keep our real plans hidden from God. The one who knows all things, who knows the end from the beginning. And, and here Ahaz is, and he, he thinks, God doesn't know exactly what I'm planning, so I, I don't want to attract too much of his attention. You know, it's kind of like the child who's caught, but they won't look you in the eye. And they think, if, I, if you don't look at me and I don't look at you, you don't know I've done something wrong. But their hand is in the cookie jar, you know. So you know they've done something wrong, even if they're not looking at you. That's what Ahaz is doing. He is, he is saying, I, I really don't want a sign because I think it's going to attract too much attention. And I, I really, I've already made up God's mind for him. I already know what the will of the Lord is in this situation. And it's me being in league with the king of Assyria. And so he covers his um, lack of faith with, of course, like a lot of religious people do, Bible verses. He knows his Bible, right? And so he says, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for that. I've read Deuteronomy. I won't put God to the test. And of course, at first glance, this seems pious. This seems like it should be the right response to God. 
I don't want to put God to the test. But would he? Would he have put God to the test if he took God at his word and he asked for a sign? No, of course he wouldn't. It's always right and good and proper to obey God. And if he says, ask of me something, you should ask. And Ahaz responds in unbelief. You see, unbelief says mockingly. There, there is a way to ask for a sign that is motivated and led by unbelief. And it says mockingly, let's see if God can do this, although I know he can't. Although I know he won't. So I will test him. This is the way of Satan. When Satan comes to Jesus in Matthew 4 to tempt him, he uses this. He says, I remember that I read in the Psalms that if you dash your foot, the angel will be there to, if you fall, the angel will be there to pick you up so that you will not even dash your foot. Let's try that out. You go up to this temple and jump off and let's see if God is faithful. I just want to see. I mean, he said it. It's right there in his word. Let's see if he's going to do it. I know he won't. I know he won't. That's unbelief. Unbelief asks for a sign, doubting that God will do it. It's not faith looking for understanding. It's not faith crying out, saying, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the cry of someone who's looking for assurance. Ahaz, asking for a sign, would have affirmed his faith. Not put God to the test. It would have been evidence that Ahaz trusted in God to deliver him. But as it is, he didn't because he was a self-sufficient man. He didn't need signs. He didn't need the Lord impeding his plans. He didn't ask God for a sign because he'd already made up his mind what to do. And it didn't involve God. You see, we err when in unbelief we demand of God a sign he will act. And if we don't get them, we won't act. That is an error. We shouldn't do that. We should not put God to the test. But this is a case of bad theology. Right scripture, wrong application. Right? We do this all the time. This is Job's friends. There's a lot of really good theology in Job. Very bad application, right? They're taking a lot of truth about God, who he is, how he relates to the world. That's all true. It's just not true of Job. And so so it is with Ahaz. It is true. You should not put the Lord your God to test. But that's not what he would have been doing. So in unbelief, he twists the scriptures. And we do the same thing when we say, I won't do this unless you give me a sign. I won't step out in faith unless you give me a sign. Right? And we've all, heard, we've all heard our friends and loved ones do this. I laid out my fleece. And it's clear. And if it, usually that meant it was already clear to begin with. We need to be careful. There are warnings. We don't want to test God. But we want to be like the person who is taking God at his word, and looking for assurance when he asks us to ask for it. We want to have the same cry of the man, I believe, help my unbelief. There's nothing wrong with that cry of faith. 
but it differs from what Ahaz is doing. And, and of course, this is the testimony of all unbelievers. Of all those uh, who do not believe in Jesus, the evidence is everywhere. The historicity of Jesus and of his resurrection is well attested. Not to mention, you cannot look anywhere in creation without seeing vestiges of God everywhere. And yet we suppress the truth and unrighteousness because people don't want to believe. They don't want a sign even though signs are everywhere, all pointing to the Lord. But we also err when we refuse to accept the sign He has given. The Lord's Supper and baptism are signs confirming God's faithfulness. Many evangelicals are guilty of emptying them of any meaning. When, they, when the supper is just something to jog your memory, just something for you to remember that happened, are you not treating God's offer of a sign as Ahaz? When baptism is merely your profession of faith, do you not align yourself with Ahaz? Oh, that we wouldn't put God to the test by rejecting his signs. He has offered you a sign. And it would be foolish to reject it like Ahaz. And of course, only by the Spirit can one interpret the Scriptures. Ahaz knows them, but he can't correctly apply them. Because he's devoid of the Spirit. And so we should be cautious and be aware of those who seem to be pious. They know lots of Bible verses, but look at their life. Is the fruit there in their life? Or is it just on their tongue? Have they just twisted scriptures to fit their own purposes like Ahaz did? Some piety is just a mask for unbelief. They go around, the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. And that's just an excuse for them not to take action, not to take responsibility. But well, wasn't my fault. Sovereignty of God. Couldn't have done anything about it. It just happened that way. Don't pit the sovereignty of God against your responsibility to act. God is sovereign and he will act, but he will use you. And you must step out in faith. These things are not mutually exclusive. They're compatible together. But don't use it as an excuse. Unbelief often prays very pious prayers. Oh, Lord, save my child from sin and give them faith. Nevertheless, your will be done. Now, that's a, that's a very orthodox prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's not motivated by faith, then the nevertheless, your will be done is you saying, I know that it probably won't happen, so I'm giving you a way out. God does not need you to give him ways out. He needs you to pray bold prayers, trusting in Him and holding Him to His promises. He promised to be the God of your children as He is your God. Do you believe that? Claim that promise. He made it. Hold Him to it. God, you are a covenant-keeping God. You promised to be faithful. You said that my children, they would have you as their God just as you are my God. Be faithful. Save them. God offers a sign. 
You are a fool if you don't take it. Ahaz is a fool and he masks his unbelief in pious Bible verses. But it's all a ruse that he thinks will fool God while he goes his own way. God is not fooled. He will give a sign, but it won't assure, it won't assure Ahaz it will be a sign of judgment. Isaiah's response, notice his response in verse 13. And he said, here then, O house of David, he expands this. It's not just Ahaz, but who Ahaz represents the entire line of David. O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? The prophet is exasperated. Unbelief is wearisome. It tests God even as it claims not to. But the plans of God cannot be thwarted because of sinful man. Even if the house of David becomes worse, God will give them a sign. Ahaz won't live to see it, but when it comes, it will confirm. It will confirm his judgment against Ahaz and his unbelief. And the sign is this, a virgin. Now listen, there's no getting around this word. You can't appeal to the Hebrew. The word Alma in Hebrew is young, unmarried woman who has not known a man. That's called a virgin. You can't appeal to grammar to try to sneak out of this. It is not a sign quality if a generic woman has a son, the normal way of things, and decides to give him a good, strong Hebrew name. That's not a sign. The sign is something that God alone can do. Cause a virgin to give birth to a son who is God himself. That's a sign. I swear, sometimes Bible scholars will tie themselves in knots trying to get out of the simplest things right there on the, on the surface of the text. But Matthew removes any ambiguity when he quotes this verse because he uses the Greek word for virgin. He makes it clear it is a virgin. And the point is that this is miraculous. Only God brings this about. And it's not just the virgin birth, but the identity of the child. We dare not read this verse in isolation. It doesn't come in isolation. This is a part of a section in Isaiah that goes all the way to chapter 11 and includes, for to us a child is born and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's the same child that is Emmanuel, born of the Virgin. It is one continued refrain that Isaiah is teaching. Emmanuel is no ordinary child. How is this sign, though, a sign of judgment? Why is Emmanuel different from the sign Ahaz was supposed to ask for? Well, because of verses 16 and 17. 
Isaiah is saying, listen, you did not want a sign because of your unbelief. For that, you will face my judgment. Soon, the two kings you are worried about will come to nothing. But the one king that you're not worried about, the Assyrian king, he also will bring devastation to your house, to your dynasty. Here is the proof that I have done this. A virgin will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. You see, the prophet Isaiah says, you're, you're, not, you're worried about these two kings. I told you not to worry about them. And you went around me, and you got in league with another king who you should be worried about. Because when he made this bribe to Assyria, the king of Assyria came down and destroyed Syria. And then, ten years later, he came down and he destroyed Samaria. And the ten tribes of Israel were decimated. Carried off into exile. Never to return to the land again. Ahaz did that. God's judgment on an unfaithful house of David. And we know that Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, faces the king of Assyria. And God because of Hezekiah's faithfulness, thwarts that effort of Sennacherib to destroy Jerusalem. But only because Hezekiah was faithful. But there, there came other kings. Babylon, Persia, the Greeks, Romans. All those would rule over Judah until the virgin would give birth. Now curds and honey are not the same as milk and honey. Uh, Rather, if you would look down to verse 22 or verse 21, it says, In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be thousands of vines, worth a thousand shekels of silver, will become briars and thorns. He's speaking about when the king comes into the land and lays waste to it. What's going to be left? Well, a guy had a cow left, and so all they have to eat is curds and honey. It's not the picture of prosperity. It's the picture of a decimated land in poverty. And that's what the Messiah is going to inherit. He's going to inherit a kingdom that has been completely ruined by the house of David, leaving him nothing left. But despite every effort of man to go his own way, fueled by his desire for autonomy, God will accomplish his purposes. Ahaz's actions seemed to put the holy seed in jeopardy, but it didn't. His son Hezekiah is spared from the king of Assyria, and we trace the storyline. There's always a remnant. There's always one left to the house of David, preserved even through all those that I just mentioned, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, God preserved until finally, in the bleak midwinter, the virgin gave birth to a son who was Emmanuel, God with us. And the coming of Emmanuel was a sign with twofold implications. It was a sign of judgment, but also a sign of blessing that comes from redemption. Matthew shows us that the birth of Jesus took place to fulfill 
the promise given to Ahaz. And we read that earlier from Matthew 1, 18, and the birth of Jesus, which he ties to this passage in Isaiah, this promise, this sign that God gave to Ahaz was fulfilled in Jesus. And the sign confirms that God had done it. God had brought about all the events that led to where they are that very day. Jesus is Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And he's also born in the house of David, great David's greater son. But the kingdom that he inherits is it's in shambles. He's born into a lowly family, born in a cave, and laid in an animal feeding trough. While his kingship is honored by some, it's only by the foreigners and the outcasts, the shepherds of society. All the, the rich and the wise of Jerusalem despise him, hate him, and eventually kill him. Herod sends soldiers to kill all the children under two years old in Bethlehem. What was true of Ahaz became true also of the people of God. When God gave them the sign, they piously rejected. Ahaz says, I don't need a sign because I don't believe Many of the Jews said, what sign can you give us that you are from God? What more do you need? I am God in the flesh, born of the virgin. God is my Father. They were constantly pressing Him for more than that. But don't you see? That is the sign. That is the fulfillment of the sign offered to Ahaz. And they rejected it. But that rejection was also promised in Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, that they would see but never see. That they would hear but never hear and their hearts would be hardened and they would never understand. A sign that Israel would reject the Messiah, hardened in their unbelief. You see, they wanted a Savior who would restore the glory of Israel among the nations. They didn't want a king born in a manger. They wanted a king who would rally the people to revolt against the Roman overlords and usher in the kingdom of God. But not all rejected Jesus. Some welcomed him, seeing him for what he really is, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one who would restore the kingdom, but not through military power. And the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Luke 2.40. And that is what is said in verse 15. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Yes, he was poor. But he learned to discern between good and evil. And that term brings us back to the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam took from before he was ready. It's a tree of discernment of being able to discern between the voice of the tempter, Satan, and the voice of God. Jesus has learned discernment. Walking by the Spirit, He encountered every temptation and bested Satan. But Jesus proves His wisdom through His discernment. Jesus perfectly fulfills all that God had promised to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, confirming that the word of the Lord is true and trustworthy. 
He is trustworthy when so many years later he confirms his promise through the nativity of Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, Emmanuel, God with us. What made Ahaz a recipient of God's judgment is the same thing that makes you and me today. Unbelief. Jesus, the sign has come. But scoffers don't need signs. They mock. Bah humbug. And turn away in disbelief. Just like Herod and many of the religious leaders. Both of which who were waiting for the sign. They were waiting for a sign, but it wasn't the one they wanted. But not all. Others saw and believed. They saw what took place in that little cave in Bethlehem was the birth of Emmanuel and the salvation of the world. So this Advent season, see not just a baby in a manger, see a sign confirming God's trustworthiness. A sign of judgment on the obstinate, those who turn away in unbelief, but a sign of blessing for all who come by faith and own Him as their King. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we thank You for Your trustworthiness that You have confirmed the promised sign to Ahaz in the sending of Your own Son to be born of a virgin. Oh, a humble and lowly birth, King of kings, Lord of lords. He left great glory to come to earth, to take on flesh, to suffer and to die for us. Father, this Advent season, as we reflect on His coming, we remember that it is unbelief that turns away and refuses the sign. Would you fill us with hearts of faith that we may turn towards you And be assured that you are trustworthy and true. And that your words will be accomplished. Including the promise that you will come again. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.